You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, if you're here new to River, I want to welcome you and say uh, it's just great to have you this morning and uh, trust that God, uh, my prayer is that God will just use this service in at least some small way in your life to touch your heart help you to know Him, help you take that next step in your, your spiritual journey, wherever you may are, whether you're uh, brand new to a church, never been to a church before, or whether you've been to church a lot, uh, just pray that God would use this morning as we open His Word. We're going to talk about the heart, about our individual hearts before God, that whether through that or the singing, that God will, will touch you. A number of years ago, um, actually only a couple of years ago, I was dropping a friend off uh, at the Albany Airport, and uh, you know how those routines are. I mean, it's always hectic. You got to get there on time and you got to catch a plane and all of that. And uh, thankfully, I wasn't flying. I was just the chauffeur. And uh, I pulled in and it was kind of, you know, most of the spots right along the, the, the doors they were taken. And so I pulled in right at the end. And uh, it may have technically, I think there's a little sign there that says, like, don't park past this spot or whatever, you know. Pulled in and dropped the person off. And I mean, we were there literally 10 seconds. And I, Put it in reverse, bend it back up, and I bumped the car behind me. I was shocked. I didn't notice anybody pulling behind me, and I'm thinking, like, I should be last in line. There should be nobody behind me. And immediately I got out, and I was just, you know, like, oh, so sorry. And, um, and there wasn't any damage. I mean, it was a little, I mean, a ridiculously light little tap. But apparently that person was dropping somebody off and uh, looked like a husband dropping a wife off, and she launched into me. I mean, just started yelling and screaming at me and swearing at me as she's pulling her suitcase trying to catch her own plane. And I thought, wow, you are going to have a really tough flight after this. And I really, I felt bad. It was completely my fault. I should have looked, you know, and all of that. Um, and then when I said, Am, so I'm so sorry. It was just an accident. I'm so sorry. And she continued. And I looked at her and I just said, ma'am, it was an accident. I apologize. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, like, let's move it along here. You know, what does that have in common with the teenager who's 15, who's beginning to be withdrawn from mom and dad, who's sullen, who begins to think, you know, my mom and dad really don't understand. They don't get it. They don't understand my life. They don't have to deal with what I have to deal with. And, and they don't like my friends. They don't like my music. And they're just out of touch. And that teenager just finally decides, says, you know what? I'm just not going to do what mom and dad wants. And I'm going to start doing my own thing. What does that have in common with a young couple who get married, excited, they're in love with one another and think that they have found their soulmate and the rest of their life is going to be happily ever after until just in the middle of the honeymoon or just shortly after the honeymoon that they begin to realize, like, this is not the same person that I thought I was marrying and I'm not as happy anymore and this person is has not only weird quirks, and yes, they do squirt the toothpaste out of the wrong end and don't put the toilet paper on right, but this person actually is can be mean. And you begin to get hurt, and you begin to feel neglected, and you begin to feel like unforgiveness is building in your heart to where that couple then finally decides, you know what, we just really don't love any, each other anymore. And then you talk yourself into, well, the best thing for our kids is to go ahead and get a divorce. 
What does that have in common with the two-year-old? Two and a half, 30 months into life, convinced that mom and dad should give them what they want. And when they don't get what they want, they throw themselves on the floor, head kicking against the floor and kicking and screaming, and they throw a tantrum. We're going to talk this morning about our heart as people. All of those situations come from the reality that you and I have a sin disease in our heart, that Jesus came to forgive, he came to save, but he came to change. The things that I'm going to talk about this morning at the end of the day are the things that will either make or break your role as parents. They will make or break your role as grandparents. They will make or break your role as a husband and as a wife. They're the things that either make relationships work or are, is at the heart of all relationships that begin to fail, whether it's brother and sister with each other, whether it's you and your, or your coworkers, your boss. At the very heart, pun intended, is our own spiritual heart before God. The Bible talks about the heart over 860 times. It's difficult to read very much of the Bible without running into it. So I'm going to share with you this morning about what God has to say about our heart and about what God wants to do to change our heart. And in the process, He changes not only our lives, but puts us in a position to experience the change that we crave and the relationships that we have with those around us. So look with me, if you would, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to look at just a couple little verses this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, just profound verses that uh, probably you've read and uh, or many of you have read and just kind of like me, just read past them or looked at them and said, oh, that's interesting. We've been in, as we've been looking at Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, he really has spent much of his time saying, guys, bottom line, I miss you. I haven't been able to come see you, and I'm concerned for you that you continue on to follow the Lord Jesus. He is kind of wrapping that train of thought up this morning, but he says some really profound things that I want us to get into our mind and literally get into our heart, pun intended again, about what God has to say about it. So read with me if you would in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. Paul says this, now here's his prayer, his cry for that early young church. He says, now may our God and Father himself God himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. I got to pause there. This is totally nothing to do about our heart, but this is a big one for life. The Bible says, it says God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus. The Bible's putting God the Father on par with Jesus. If I go to my kids and say, your mother and I say, I'm putting their mom and me on the same level of authority, equal, right? When the Bible says God the Father and talking about Jesus, they're putting Jesus on the same plane, the same par. It's a claim to Jesus' deity. Now, to the really English grammar nerds in the room, and there probably are a few of you, but if you're like most of us, I'm, you know, that's really not my thing. This actually is very true in, English, in, in, in the writing of the Bible. The Bible is so reliable and consistent. It's ridiculous to think that it might have been written by you know, so many different people and evolved and morphed and all of this. It would be so random and chaotic. It's not. It's got one author as the God written through so many people, like 40 some odd people. When the Bible says, when, in the English language, you have a subject and a verb. They're supposed to agree a number, right? If you have more than one, like many things, you're supposed to have a plural verb, right? All my English teachers are saying, that's right, Sean. 
It's the same way in Greek even more so. You don't see this in English so much, but this is a compound subject. God the Father and Jesus is two, right? Two more is more than one, which makes it plural. The verb direct is supposed to be plural to agree. It does. I said all that to say this. This is a claim that Jesus and God the Father are on the same plane together, same authority, same in unison, is a really cool proof of not only the trustworthiness of the Bible, but of the deity of our Lord Jesus and the Trinity, all in that one piece. Now let's move on. Ready for the rest of it? It's not really what I want to talk to you about, but that's too important to miss. And the Bible goes on and says this, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Catch this with me. Get real. This is really simple. Paul says, he says, look, I want God to increase your love and I want to overflow for one another and everybody just like we do for you. And here's why. Purpose. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God. Because the day is coming when Jesus is coming back that you're going to be judged according to your heart. I want to talk to you about that heart and what that has to do with our love. But first, pray with me, would you? Father, I thank you that Jesus saves, that you forgive us of our sins, you adopt us as your children. But Lord, I'm grateful that that's not everything, that you want to establish and change our hearts. God, we acknowledge that our hearts are sinful even after we know you, and we need help. Father, out of that is all of the problems that we have in this life. Lord, would you reveal our heart to us? Would you help us to get our minds, our souls, everything wrapped around just how much you want to do and to change inside of us? Lord, I pray that you would do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing I want you to notice with me this morning is that after we surrender our life to Jesus, that, when that happens, that doesn't mean that our hearts are all of a sudden whole, that they're healthy, that we're good by nature in every area of life. Once we say yes to Jesus and we are born again, we are forgiven of our sins and we surrender our life to Jesus, asking Him to save us from our sins, trusting Him and Him alone and turning away from our sins, that doesn't mean that God somehow has waved His magic wand over our heart and changed everything on the inside. In fact, not at all. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, the English standard says. King James says, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Or the ESV, who can understand it? Our hearts are so wicked and sinful on the inside that you and I cannot fathom the depth of it. We can't comprehend it and we're surprised by it. That's why when we are mad or in fits of anger or rage, I suspect the woman that got mad at me as she walked away, probably, I hope later on, like, you know, why did I do that? Now I just messed up my flight or whatever, you know? Why did I say that? The reason we say stuff that we don't mean, actually, that's not really true. We really do say the stuff we mean. We just wish we didn't mean it. What's catching us is in that moment it is that our sinful heart, there's more anger and, and selfishness and wickedness in there, and we get shocked when it comes up. Our, our lives aren't immediately transferred differently. Look, the heart is really the, the seat of all that's wrong and messed up in each of our lives. Listen to what Mark chapter 7 says. The Bible says this. Jesus said this. He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. 
the stuff that comes out of us. That's the dangerous, the yucky stuff. For from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covetousness, coveting, wickedness, deceit, all lying, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. You see, our heart is the real us. And it's hidden from view. It's capped over. It's like a, it's like a volcano that's seething underneath with all of this stuff in it, but it's capped over and hasn't, you know, it's not erupting at all the time. And we're shocked when it begins to come out and we're just like, where, where did that come from? Even we don't realize what's down on the inside. But this is the stuff. It's our heart that, that betrays us. That it's why we end up doing things that we deep down know are wrong and we don't want to do. and We almost feel like we can't stop and we give in to those things. The, the issue is our heart. That doesn't change automatically once we become a follower of Jesus. I went ice fishing with my family yesterday and some skated and we fished. It was a great, a beautiful afternoon. And, uh, and I was the typical dad. A couple of my kids, are, well, most of my kids now are old enough. I think you need a license, fishing license at like 15 or something. And I was a dutiful dad. You got your license, got your license. Like I had three other kids, got your license. Okay, everybody's got a license. Even my wife texted. Everybody got their license, you know. It's like we don't want to get in trouble with anybody. And so uh, most of them had gone home, and Nathaniel and I had stayed, and we were sitting there. We were inside a little tent, and all of a sudden we hear footsteps coming right up to our tent. We heard a little bucket where we had some of our fish in it and, you know, move. I'm like, what kid is trying to steal my fish, you know? I poked my head out and it was the environmental conservation officer. The game warden was coming by to check to make sure we were biding by the rules and check our licenses and fish. And so I was like, hi, it's nice to meet you. And I immediately ran over and grabbed my license, uh, what I thought was my license, and gave it to her and, and um, handed it to her. Nathaniel had his. And, uh, and then she said, uh, this isn't your license. I said, what? And I looked at it and it wasn't. I'd forgotten when I bought my hunting license, they didn't buy my fishing license at the same time. And my fi I had to turn around and buy it the same day. It was on a whole separate sheet. And I couldn't find it at all, at, at all. That's not a nice feeling, just so you know. You're like, I'm saying like, seriously? Like, I'm trying to keep track of everybody. And I thought I had it. Like, I have one. I just didn't, couldn't prove it. I didn't know where it was. She was so nice. Uh, really, I looked in the thing, and I'm like, well, I guess we're done fishing. It was obvious she wasn't going to give me a ticket, and I was grateful for that. She could have. I was breaking the law in that moment. You're supposed to have it with you. And uh, she looked at me, and she said, no. You know, she said, you're in violation right now. I'm like, you're supposed to have it. I'm like, yeah, I know that, <laughs> you know. Um, and she said, you know, you're already here. You've got the day. Just go and enjoy. What God does for us is just like that. She was the authority, right? I was guilty. I was completely guilty of poaching fish and of being irresponsible and all of that, right? Completely. You and I are sinners before holy God in heaven. And he looks at us and says, I know you're guilty, but I'm choosing as the highest authority here to declare you to be innocent, to declare you to be guilt-free. Go about your life and have a wonderful day. That's what God does when He saves us. He declares us to be righteous. He forgives us. He, deep down, He knows that we're in violation, that our lives are a mess. But then what God does, and this is a part I don't want us to miss,
God then says, but now let me help you. I want to spend the rest of your life making you what I just declared you to be. I want to clean that junk out of your heart. And from that point forward, every experience of our life, the good times, the bad times, the difficult times, the boring times, the crises, everything in our life, is aimed at you and I knowing Him more and Him more and more cleaning that stuff out of our life. He wants to change our heart. And that's the world in which you and I live. So just because you are a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that what's on the inside is automatically good. In fact, we are forgiven, but we still carry those things around. God has broken the authority of that sin in our life, and Romans talks about that, and we could talk about that another day. But the pragmatic reality is we still have that garbage inside of us that I just read, the lying and the stealing and the wrong desires and the cheating and the anger and all of that is still inside of us. Second thing I want you to notice this morning is God cares about that more than our behavior. God cares about our heart. We as people tend to focus on the behavior. Parents tend to focus on the behavior. In our parenting class, we've been talking about that for the last month. We tend to focus even on our own behavior. We tend to focus on the outside because it's what we see the most. It's what we think we can fix the easiest. The heart is elusive. It, 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 it's, it's difficult to get our minds and, and, and our thoughts around to really understand what's going on. But God is the one who cares about the heart. Notice in verse 13, Paul is like, Paul is writing to them. Get the picture. He's like, I haven't seen you in a long time. I haven't really talked to you in a long time. He's like, Hey, get this, make sure whatever you do, get this. I'm praying that you would love everyone as much as you should. And I want you to do that because that, the purpose behind that is so that your heart is going to be holy. Think clean, think pure, think different than the world around. It's going to be blameless and nobody's going to be able to lay blame at your feet because you are not just on the outside looking what you should be, but the, on the inside, you are living and thinking and, and your attitude and your motivations are they should be. That one thing I want you to get because, guys, here's the deal. There's a final exam coming at the end of your life. And everything in your life is going to be written down on this exam. Not to see if you're a follower of Jesus. This exam is not to see if you get into heaven or not. That's already done. Jesus covered that. But your life is going to stand before God and those things that stand holy before Him will stand for all of eternity and all of the junk in your life that, that didn't get cleaned out and all the actions and attitudes and behaviors and all of that, you will miss out on all kinds of blessings that you could have had for all of eternity. Your standard is going to be measured against Jesus when God comes back. Paul says, look folks, you need to realize you are forgiven, you're saved as children of God, but God expects, and He's coming back to inspect your life. And a part of that whole end times thing, and Paul is a good teacher, is a good professor, says, I want you to be ready for that Mac Daddy, that big final regents exam, that big comprehensive exam to get your certification, all that. I want you to be ready. God cares about our heart, and our, He alone is the one that decides our standard. You know what happens? You and I get back and we're like, well, I'm a good person. I mean, look, look at all these things I've done. And we aren't stopping and thinking and saying, God, what do you think? You know, the issue isn't what we thought. I mean, that's like a, 
That's like a, a junior in high school or college submitting a paper saying, teach, give me an A, because I know I deserve it. This is a really good paper. You know, God doesn't work, school doesn't work that way, and God doesn't work that way either. God is the one who decides and discerns and looks at our heart, not us, not according to that. So God is looking at, at, looking at our heart. Jesus himself said this. Jesus said, why do you, he said, um, why do you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me? Why do you say one thing, give me lip service, but on the other side, your heart is completely away from me? You see, God all along is trying to, to deal with our heart. Proverbs 4 says this. The Bible says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. That is a key verse that you ought to memorize, highlight, keep close by. The Bible says, keep your heart with every ounce of vigilance that you can be. If you lock your doors at night and lock your car when you leave and are careful about your security and who you are, if you're careful that you don't give out your social security to anybody and you're, you know, you're careful about these things, Paul says, uh, Proverbs says, excuse me, a million times over, you ought to be vigilant about your own heart because out of it flows everything of life. Everything, our speech, our, our heart is the reason we do what we do. It's the reason we think what we think. It's the reason we feel what we feel. It's the reason we do what we do. It is out of our heart flows everything in our life. If you want to get life out here squared away, if you want to get life in your mind squared away, if you want to get your feelings squared away, the Bible says get to your heart. The heart is the peace that everything flows out of. What God is looking for is our heart. Third thing I want you to recognize. So hopefully that, that helps us to realize this is what God cares about. Our heart's messed up. God cares about it. So the real next step is, is how do we get to it? If, we're, if it's deceiving us and there's more junk in there than what we really know, and there is, and we don't really know what's in there and what we don't know, but yet we're going to be judged for it, or we're gonna, God's going to hold us accountable in that, and He is even now, well, how do we, how do we fix it? How does, that, how does that get taken care of? There's some little windows that we have to help us to get a peek down in of what's in our heart. One of them is right in this passage. Look what the Bible says. Paul says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. Huge one there, by the way. God is the one that helps us to love. If you're struggling to love anybody specifically or people generally, you need to ask God and ask God to work in your heart and pay attention to what's going on. But Paul says love is the indicator. Paul wanted them to love one another so that, that God would establish their heart in blamelessness and holiness. What, what Paul's trying to get to is the heart, the root of the issue. And he starts by looking at the fruit. See, if our life is like a tree, what's visible is up here and out there, right? Love is what should be visible in our lives. It's the fruit that we ought to see. It's the things we ought to pick up when we're talking with one another. It's the actions we should see when nobody's looking and we observe in each other's lives. The fruit of that 
if there's a fruit of genuine love up here, then what that means is the root, which is our heart, is on the right track. The problem is, is that you and I don't really know what real love is. We think of love genuinely, when I think about other people, I'm not thinking like, I just really love Ben and Jerry's or haagen or whatever your, you know, Stewart's Death by Chocolate or whatever. What we really think of love when we think about other people is more like like on steroids. We really mean when we say, I love you, what we really are saying is, I really like you to the point that you really make me feel good. I don't love the way that I feel when I'm with you. But over time, when that person stops making us feel that way, then we say, I just don't love you anymore. And we don't love each other anymore. We make love actually centered around us when the Bible says love is actually centered around the other person. We really don't understand love well. You see, what love really does, love says, I'm going to do what's best for you, regardless of what's best for me. That's love. Love says, I'm going to have your interest at heart. I'm going to serve you, even if it really stinks for me. Love says, I'm going to do what I should be doing with you, even if you're not doing what you should be with me. Love doesn't say, oh, I just I love the way I feel when I'm around you. I love how it feels when you serve me. You make me feel so good. That's what we mean by love. God's love is the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. It means that you and I put ourselves out for somebody else. When we do that, then we're living like Jesus. Is that not what Jesus did for us? You see, the heart, forgive me, keep saying that word, the center of our Christian life is, is the fact that there's a God in heaven that went out of his way to the point that he sacrificed himself on the cross for you and for me, not protecting himself, was beaten and crucified and mocked and jeered and got nothing out of that deal except to bless us. And then he calls you and me to make those same decisions every day whether our neighbors are nice to us or not, whether they're convinced that we've encroached on their property when we mow our lawn or not, or they don't like the stuff we've stored out back or not, regardless of whether our spouse is, is treating us well or not, that God says genuine love for one another puts the other person's best interest at heart, not protecting ourselves, not defending ourselves, but in the middle of the arguments, in the middle of the challenges, says, I'm going to do for you what God expects of me. If you really want to know what your heart is like, what the roots are like on a tree, check out the fruit up top. If there's good fruit up here, there's your good roots down here. You see, the, the Bible also says, Jesus tells us that out of the good treasure, the good person out of the good treasure of their heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure of their heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is the second thing. Love is the first window into our heart. The second thing, you want to get a window into your heart? Look at what you say. Second window. This is like a very clear picture. When we went 
fishing yesterday, the place where we fished was very shallow. In fact, we could drill enough holes in a spot that we could see the bottom and see our lure. Problem was the fish wouldn't cooperate. It's like, here, fishy, 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 we want to get you. And they just did not come by in that one particular spot. Our speech is a window into our heart. It, we can see the bottom of it. When The stuff that you say, the stuff that you even want to say, but maybe don't have the guts or the anger in the moment to say, that's your heart. That anger, that vengeance, that vindictiveness, that offense, that hurt, that jealousy, that envy, that greed. Yeah, that's, that's you. That's me. We all have this. Out of, that, out of the abundance of our heart, that's what's on the inside. Our mouth is a window. So we really did mean to say those things. We just wish we didn't mean to say them, and we wish that we hadn't gotten caught, and we wish that junk wasn't in there, but it is. And so God wants to deal with that, and I'll talk about that as my fourth and final point in a minute. God wants to come to us like a surgeon and say, I know you're a mess. I've forgiven you. You're guilty as all get out. But now I'm going to help clean that junk out of your heart. So love is the first indicator of our heart. Our speech is the second indicator of our heart. Here's a third one. I've got, I've got four of them, but here's a third one. Hebrews says this. Hebrews 4.12. Yeah, 4.12. For the Word of God, the Bible's the third window. The Word of God is a living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You want to know what's inside your heart? Read God's Word and let God take that Word and speak into your soul. You see, as you read God's Word, the Bible reads you. And it gives you a window. It begins to lay bare. In fact, it's such sharper than a scal surgeon's scalpel that it's able to divide the thought from the intention of the thought that's down in your heart. It's able to raise or fine, lay out for you really what's down inside of you. The Bible, third one. Give me the fourth one. We don't have time to chase all of these. I wish we did, but your emotions are a fourth window. A lot of us think that our emotions just come and go and we can't control them and aren't reliable. And by and large, they aren't reliable. But our, window, our emotions are actually a pretty good window to our heart. They happen in a millisecond. That woman that got angry at me, and by the way, I have been angry many times at even less as well. I'm not throwing her under the bus even with me. Uh, any more than me. When you and I, in those milliseconds, have that anger, have that just jealousy, that, that, that stuff that wells up in our heart, that emotion that comes up, there's a reason. In Psalm, and we go Google sometime heart and look in the Psalms and Proverbs. The Bible talks about stubbornness in the heart, pride in the heart, selfishness in the heart. It talks, it's also the place of thanksgiving, a place of, of joy and blessing. All of those emotions are in our heart. And our emotions, when they pop up, they're telling us something significant that's going on on the inside. Now, the part that's not reliable is, is that we can't always trust what's going on in there. Sometimes we might be happy and excited in the moment when we really ought not be, but we don't realize that that happiness that's coming up like when our enemy fails, that's really not of God. Underneath that is vindictiveness. That's where the deceptive part of our heart comes. So you've got to actually look at your emotions and say, God, what is going on in here? 
we really need to move beyond what's coming increasingly common and popular around us, that we're just victims to our emotions. Our emotions are coming up because of what's in our heart. It's what's on the inside of us. We're responsible for, for that which is in, in, in there. I read in my devotion this morning, King Rehoboam, Solomon's son, lived godly for three years, and then after that, he didn't. And the Bible says this, he did evil because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. He was responsible for all of that in his, his life. He was responsible. So if you want to know what's really in your heart, look at what you say. Look at where your, your, your love is for other people. Look at what you really value and commit yourself to. Open God's Word and take a serious stock of the emotions. And when those things hit and you step back, okay, where is this one coming from? Like a gardener, you need to trace that emotion back to find where it's rooted. Is it in something that God wants and is honoring God? Or is it something that's self-seeking? Let me go to the fourth thing and kind of wrap these things together. So how does God then begin to clean our hearts up? What, is, what does God do? He wants, to, he wants to change us. He wants us to live in a way that honors Him. He wants to grow us. The, the beautiful thing is, is that unlike the, the, the conservation officer that had me dead to rights, wrong and guilty, she didn't do anything to help me solve the problem. It wasn't her job. Her job is to find violators, not help violators be good. God finds violators, but then God spends the rest of his time making us good, solving those problems, cleaning out our heart. Two big things I want you to recognize. Look at what Psalm 139 says. The Bible says in verse 23, this is a Psalm of David. He's praying to God. He's saying, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, test me. Not try me, it's test me, examine me, God and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David said, God, would you please do a thorough internal inspection of my heart? As a surgeon, God, as a spiritual doctor, I recognize that my heart is sinful. David was expecting to find junk in there, and he said, God, would you go in and test it. Run your lab tests, run the results, do whatever you got to do, and see if there's anything that's grievous to you, not to me, because he says, God, I'm oblivious. So first step for God cleaning our heart is saying, God, would you speak into my world, just genuinely being open and looking for that. And then when those things hit, let's take the emotion side of it. When those things hit, let's say you've been offended by somebody, and they've done some things wrong but you just can't get past it. And you're struggling with bitterness, jealousy, anger. And a day goes into a week, and a week goes into a month. Somewhere along the way that even if that person really did wrong to you, you got some sin in your heart that you can't forgive them and get past that. When that hits me, you know what I'm doing, and I'm realizing it, and I'm, I'm trying to get quicker on the on this than ever before, but God, I know I should not be angry right now. I know I should not be jealous. I know I should not be bitter. God, I, what this person did wasn't cool, but I know that I'm reacting in a way that is not honoring you. God, would you search my heart? 
Would you reveal to me what that, where that is coming from? God, what am I holding on to that's causing this? What bad soil is in my heart that's causing that? Oftentimes there's pride in there. And oftentimes God points out some insecurity in my heart. Sometimes things have happened that actually I liked my position and standing more than I liked God. And they hurt my little feelings. And I got mad at them. And actually what I'm holding on to is that my pride got wounded. Really rather than I'm just trusting in God and loving Him and allowing Him to take that away. You see, your emotions, have, they, they come up like a, like a window or like a volcano, but underneath there's things that are giving rise to it. And in my experience, as I, and as I study and read God's Word, if you will read God's Word, allow God to speak into your soul, to reveal that intention and the vision of your heart, and you're praying and asking God, the Holy Spirit, to actively do that, God will begin to deal with those things in your heart. And what, what you're praying is not, God, would you help me get rid of the anger? Oh, you're praying that, but God, would you help get rid of the reason I'm angry? And that's not fixing that other person or changing the situation. That can't be done. But it's what you're holding on to. Those things reveal to us the sin in our hearts that are wrong. That's why when couples begin to fight, they just escalate. Because they never really get past not just the fight or the problem, but they're really not willing to let go of their own selfishness and to truly forgive and to truly love that other person. And all of that stuff is there. And when that stuff is in our heart, we have to be willing to say, God, yeah, what I went through was horrible. But God, I know that I'm not reacting right now either. Would you reveal and help me deal with that? Sean, you make that sound so easy and clinical. Well, I am talking here on a Sunday morning, and it does sound easy and clinical. Is it in reality? No, <laughs> not for me either. Not for me either. But it's the only path I know to walk through that. Because we're, we're the patient who's feeling the effects of cancer, and we're going to the doctor and saying, Doc, I can't fix it, but I need help. Would you get this junk out of there? It really is not good. Second thing you need to know is to do what David did, and I'm done. I'm going to wrap this up quickly. Look at Psalm 51. This one's also by David. You know, many of you know the famous story of, of David when he sinned against Uriah, one of his generals, and he spent the night with Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. Um, she got pregnant. He found out later and connived and worked this whole web to try to cover over and ends up marrying Bathsheba, making everybody think it was his kid. And God confronted David. He sent, a Nathan, he sent a prophet to him by the name of Nathan, told him a story, and looked at him, and Nathan pointed, I can see him pointing his bony finger at him, and said, you're the man, David. God confronted him with that stuff. What God is going to do for you and for me regularly throughout our life is he will make sure we get confronted with our heart. He will make sure. The problem wasn't so much that David committed adultery with Bathsheba. Yeah, that was a problem. The problem was is the adultery and the lying, and the murder, and all the stuff that was in his heart. And God was confronting him with that stuff. And so David then goes to God. Is once David was convicted and realized, I'm a mess, what do I do? That's a pretty good prayer and a pretty good track for you and me to follow. 
David says in Psalm 51.5, he says this, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. He's not saying that his mom and dad sinned. What he's saying is, is God, from the very moment I was conceived, and in sin did my mother conceive me. From that very moment, God, I'm a mess. God, I'm, I'm a wicked. My heart's a mess. I'm a mess. He said, but behold you, delight in truth and inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. There it is. God, I know I'm a mess, but you teach me this stuff in my heart. Purge me with hyssop. Use ceremonially in several key places in the Old Testament to, to cover with sin. The, the Jews, when they left Egypt, covered their doorposts and the lintel with, they used a hyssop. It's a, it's a plant. It's like a mint plant that was dipped in the lamb's blood, and they would sprinkle it as a picture of the covering of sin. David's saying, David's saying, forgive me and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. And in verse 17, he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David said, God, if you wanted sacrifices, I would give it. I'm not going to go try to do anything to solve the problem myself. We do that. We try to cope and compensate and Go to anger management classes, and there's good things and, 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 and all of that kind of stuff. But the reality is, is what we need is not to, it's not the stuff on the outside, the behavior. It's letting God clean out the stuff on the inside. And it's allowing God to confront us, just like God did when Cain killed Abel. Cain, where's your brother? I don't know. What did you do, Cain? Allowing God to come to you and me and saying, what did you do, Sean? Why are you feeling like this? And just like God told Cain, Cain, you wouldn't be feeling this way if you did what was right. The reason you're feeling this way is you did wrong. Sean, the reason you've got this problem is because here's over here is what's really in your heart. You got murder and jealousy and all this other stuff. And God allowing God to confront us, searching us. And in that moment, agreeing with God, God, you are right and I am so wrong. God, forgive me. Have that contrite, that grief, that conviction of our soul to where we feel like an inch tall. God doesn't want us groveling and He doesn't want to humiliate us, but He does want us to be humble before Him and asking Him to forgive us and, and renew, not renew our salvation, but allow that salvation to go in a little bit deeper into our soul, if you will, and to change us. And I don't know how this all works, but through that simple process of being real, you do that continuously through time. As God speaks that into your world, you become a changed person. You become different. You become different on the outside because you're different on the inside. Because God changes all of that stuff. So guys, this morning, I don't know where you've been. Mom and dad, you should be thinking about you as a parent. You as a parent have got double challenge. you got to get to your own heart, and you got to turn around and help your own kid's heart. We focus on behavior too much as parents, and what God wants us to do is to help our kids be established in holiness and purity. We put all the success on the outside. And God's like, yeah, I'm not looking at all of that. I'm looking on the inside. Husbands and wives, if you want to know the key to success, it's dealing with your heart and then turning around, showing that and living that out before the other person. I don't know where God has spoken into your soul this morning, but I'm going to ask Sally if she would come up and get ready to play our response song.
But God, God wants to do some amazing things in our hearts, guys. Some of you guys are carrying around years of bitterness and frustration and anger. And maybe you need to step back and say, God, I've carried that and I've managed it, but I've walled it off. But God, maybe there's something inside of there that I need to deal with in my own soul. Would you reveal that? Others of you might truly been oblivious to your heart. Maybe never even really thought about it before. This is the key. I, this, these truths are what's helped me grow the most in the last 20 years as a father, as a husband, as a Christian, as a pastor. Maybe you need to say, God, would you begin to reveal my heart? Maybe you just need to pray that Psalm 139. God, I don't know anything. I don't see anything, but I know it's in there. Would you just search me and know me? But as God has spoken into you this morning, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to ask you to stand and just respond to our God this morning. Would you? Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died and rose again. Thank you that you not only just forgive us, that you love us enough to come as a doctor to confront us with the reality of our mess and to say, here, let me help you. Trust me. Lord, would you clean us? Would you remove even more of that dead tissue of our soul, of our heart? Debreathe the wound, as it were, so that it can be healed and holy before you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.